Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour at Rosie on the house. Your Saturday morning tradition since 1988, already starting a brand new month here. August and the first Saturday of the month in our outdoor living hour. We're always talking farm fresh commodities coming off our local farms and ranches. And to do that, we have Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman Julie Murphy joining us in studio. And you always bring with you a guest. Uh, but before we get to that, if you're following along in our homeowner handbook and you're expecting to hear melons, well, we had a misprint. We had typed it two months in a row. So if you go back to... <laughs> July, and you look at July 1st, and you see Arizona melons. Well, we covered it then. So if you wanted to learn about that, you can go back to the podcast or just type in Arizona melons at rosieonthehouse.com, and you can hear that great broadcast. But today, you actually have a, a very interesting – we're not talking one specific commodity, more of what uh, our – Kind of the future. Yes. Right. We're talking the future of Arizona agriculture. How? and how we're yeah. going to keep up with production with diminishing farmlands and growing population. Yes. And I've, as my guest, I brought in for the regular listeners, you have loyal listeners, Romero family. Um, you'll recognize this name, Ed Curry. He's from Cochise County, and he's one of my favorite far- farmers to talk to. Although people aren't going to be trusting me when I say that, because I say that all it's the time. A- <laughs> I say favorite farmer all the time. But Ed, truly, I just always appreciate your insights, and um, we're going to start with him. And Well, you can't mention a favorite food. I know. So you couldn't have a favorite farmer. No. <laughs> you love them all. I love them all. Of all the farmers you bring in. Ed's the only one that you bring in where I start salivating. Yeah. <laughs> because of his I, I start chili, looking right? around. I start looking around for a bottle of that chili. I think, yes. Where is it? Santa Cruz chili. We'll talk about that. And I just felt like he would also be appropriate for this theme for this month, the future of Arizona agriculture. And uh, before we launch into that, I, Ed, and I give the mic over to you so you can tell us about what's up and your farming I want to quote Stephanie Smallhouse on the future of farming. She's our current president of Arizona Farm Bureau. She goes, I've been asked many times in the past few years, what does the future look like for Arizona agriculture? And she has to reply, I don't really know what it looks like 30 or 40, 50 years from now. But what I do know is that whatever it looks like, it will be a shining example to the rest of the world. Again, that's Arizona agriculture. And because we will innovate and persist even in challenging times. The farmers and ranchers will be battle-tested and will be the children and grandchildren all of us today. They will be successful because we have shown them how to keep going and thrive despite their circumstances. It just depends on our response. Amen. Is she not inspiring? That so, was great. Ed, that's a good l- That Go question, what, what does farming look like tomorrow? What Do you think they had an answer 50 years ago when <laughs> right. they were still farming then? <laughs> right, yeah. And so, uh, Ed, I think that's a good platform to lead you off on because you and your family has been farming for quite some time. Tell us, again, we have loyal listeners. They may already know you, but tell, give us a quick overview of your farming in Cochise County. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, as always, Julie, Romy, thank you guys. For, I, love, I love doing this. I look forward to it. Um, you know, Arizona agriculture, where it's going, uh, 
my father moved here in 1952. My mother and father from Oklahoma, they were freshly married just out of high school and uh, a young couple that were looking for opportunity. And uh, um, it was uh, it was a difficult move for them. But uh, even my uh, my blind grandmother from from diabetes unchecked in those days and 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 you'll get where i tie this in later with with biopharmaceuticals and the food we eat but anyway my blind grandmother and she was blind and my mom had taken care of her since she was seven and uh she uh encouraged my mom and dad to move because of opportunity of irrigation so here she was totally taken care of by my mom, and yet she had this vision. So I always wow. like to tell people, we are here because of the vision of my, my grandmother and my children's great-grandmother. And by the way, I never knew her. She passed away. I was born in 1956, and she passed away in 1952 or three, something like that. And uh, But her vision was <laughs> that my folks might have opportunity because in Oklahoma, if it didn't rain, they didn't have a crop, pure and simple. And and. And my folks and my grandfather on my mom's side had lost two crops in a row of peanuts uh, due to drought. And and so they moved one of them. My grandfather bought a farm in Hatch, New Mexico, where there was river water. And then from there they came on down, and, uh, and, and some of my uncles found some land here in this valley. Well, so the future of agriculture, the future of agriculture is totally tied around water in Arizona. That's... That's going to be the 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 key point is is water, and and how do we use it wisely? What crops do we grow? Where is Arizona agriculture going in this water war, if you will? And uh, obviously, as as the cities grow, as Phoenix and Tucson become bigger and bigger and bigger, and even the surrounding areas got to be water, and yet Arizona agriculture has been a mainstay of Arizona industry for years. I and, love it. And, I just have to pop in there and say, what a testimony to your grandmother's vision of the future. She's probably the profile no. for all of us to understand why some of these farmers did what they did back then. What a testimony. I love that story, Ed. Uh, thank you. I thought I'd start with that uh, because of, of it does. It depicts someone that was going to suffer, lose it. My mom had cooked for her four brothers and father since she was seven years old because of my grandmother being blind. And, and we went from that to to being out here and, and, and now us having a seed company and, and, and working in genetics and pepper and, and, and now uh, several other crops that we actually do genetic work in and, uh, um, it's it is. Thank you, Julie, for saying that. I I I hope people can get the idea that the the ingenuity, the the drive, the desire to do better, the desire to take an opportunity is is huge. And and uh, I just love Stephanie Smallhouse and Andy. They're they're just super people. And and you opened this with Stephanie's comment, and she always does a great job of bringing inspiration and. You know, in agriculture now, there's less than, well, for years they've said 2% of the society is involved in agriculture. But I think the truth is those of us that are actually in still in a family-type operation uh, making a living, we're 
we're probably down closer to 1%. And, and yet, nationwide and worldwide, it's I deal with a lot of different countries in the seed business, and it's so interesting, no matter how small, how large, you still have that same drive and spirit of my grandmother, and, and it shows up family after, after family, family after family. After family. Romy has a question. What other industry is only 1% of the population involved in, but 100% of the population utilizes? Is dependent on it. Oh, my gosh. Three yeah. times a day. <laughs> Three times a day. And more for some of us. <laughs> if you've got a big appetite. Oh, my gosh. Well, tell us more about your chili genetics. Is it correct for me to say that your genetics are global, 90% of the chili that we see produced, or do I have that yeah. percentage right? Yeah, you're you're pretty well spot on. In fact, in some cases, some people say it's higher than that. I don't know. But in the, in the hatch chili arena or green chili, uh, we're the core genetic company, and, and I don't mean that arrogant, but it, it, we're, we're, we're happy to say that. And uh, we first came on the scene... Uh, we were the first ones uh, to come on the scene with a stabilized heat in chili. Everybody knows that if you're going to have a chili reunion and you live in uh, Pennsylvania somewhere and you get a hot chili and you're not used to it, you're not going to touch chili again. <laughs> so it was imperative. And the old varieties, one would be hot, one would be mild. It was kind of a common surprise thing. And, and those of us in the Southwest knew that and lived with it. But for the industry to grow... We had to have stability. So we were the first ones to come to the table with a variety called Arizona 20 that was actually uh, stable and heat. And I can give a little genetics lesson here real quick. We, you, you know, other than if you take all the genes away that produce any capsaicin, which is the heat, which is a bell pepper or a pimento, short of taking all the genes away, it, it's... What we give is a bandwidth, and and if chili is stressed, if it's if it's got disease or it's high temperature, uh, chili grown where the nights are hotter typically is is going to be at the top of the bandwidth of the genetic viability of, of production of capsaicin, whereas chili Joan grown in let's say Oxnard, California, next to the coast, then it's wholly different it's it's it would be at the bottom end of its genetic genetic ability to produce the capsaicin so the same given variety grown in oxnard might be a hundred scopal at the most and then you grow that in a hot year in the lower deserts and you're going to be at the top end which would be probably be it could be even as high as 350 scopals on these milder varieties so uh, that that was our first feat. Today we have a uh, patent on some for thin skin, uh, which means that when you roast it, there's not near as much peel to take off. We we're working on. We have some some hybrids. We're proud to say finally we've always been an OP company. And 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 Julie, feel free to jump in any time here. But well, we we have only thirty seconds left, but one of the things I did want to highlight based on what you're saying is that there's 
microclimates for chili peppers, too, which makes this exciting. And we'll get into this a little bit more and even just the health of eating healthy food when we come back. Romy, we, you had well, a well, I said we planted the seed. We're going to sprout a break. Yeah, there we go. You know, you hear technology and agriculture, and you think you're going to hear about you know, the new 28 transmission speed John Deere. You know? <laughs> but, but so many times it's, you know, something different in the soil, something different in the seeds, something different in uh, the finish. Like he was talking about the, the skin on the chili pepper. There's, right. there's a lot more to technology in farming than just what we develop mechanically. And uh, just like... Ed's grandma, you have to have a vision for what your future is going to look like. A lot of times they say that one of the reasons why farmers and ranchers are so focused on the future is because they want to make improvements. They're taking care of their family. Their business is also their family business. You know, they want higher crop productivity. They want to decrease the use of water and fertilizers and other uh, inputs. They want to reduce the impact on the natural ecosystem. I mean, these are literally surveys that have been questions, uh, surveys that have been conducted to find out why farmers are so keen to look into the future and the opportunities and use technology to help them do that. Uh, Less runoff, uh, also increased worker safety. So these are priority listing. Those things I just listed are priorities for our farmers and ranchers. And, you know, Ed Curry, I think, is an example of that in Cochise County and so many of the farmers in his area and then across the state and across the nation. And I always think, too, Ed, some of the things I've learned from you, seed technology, that's a development. Whether it's just a very traditional way to hybridize the seed, as you've talked about, but you've also said that chilies are some of the most complicated plants to improve on and yet you've it seems like this is your sweet spot is that you're just persistent and stubborn and you won't give up until you get the variety you want or what's what's going on there well as a a chili breeder we've got to live to be 200 years old and always joke about that (laughs) Um, because you're never done you know there's disease resistance there's flavors holy cow we could go into the whole flavor thing Uh, Frank Mars himself from M&M came here one time just to taste our chocolate chili. My wife fixed it and put it on ice cream for him. Um, wow. There, there is all kinds of flavors. We have a dark red, deep cherry flavor pepper. Um, I work with some friends at Cornell and Leckberside, Dr. Michael Mazurik. And, and, you know, figuring out there is so much to figure out in this thing that, that you know, we'll be doing it a lifetime. Sure. Dr. Terry Berkey on board with me now, and and uh, and but not to exclude uh, my David Cartmill and 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 Manuel, uh, who who do Cervantes, who do a have are really the core uh, people people with very little public education, and yet doctors all over the world take their hats off to these two men and their ability to select, to find, to see. Uh, what we do is fun because every year we see something new. And sometimes, in fact, I will say more often than some of our biggest discoveries have been accidents. I would like to say, oh, man, we're just so smart and we figured this out. No, what makes it work for us is that we put lots of different types of chili. Uh, We have uh, over 10 acres screened with over 200 types of chili screened. 
and that's so that there's no cross pollinization. Uh, that, that's at a cost of about seventeen thousand an acre, uh, just for that ten acres. Uh, that's not counting anything else on the farm. But so separating gene pools is is my life passion, Julie. Hmm. So besides seed technology, that by the way can obviously cover the more the more traditional way you've done it, but biotech seed. Um, there's um, often improved traits were developed to resist pests and weeds, but today we have golden rice with the beta carotene or the vitamin A built into it to help especially children in third world or developing countries avoid blindness. Uh, There's more research. So seed technology, but there's robotics and sensing technology, which just is a whole list in itself and would take another hour to talk about. Mechanical irrigation technology, your pivot, your siphons, your soil probes for soil moisture, drips, sprinkler systems. So what other technologies, Ed Curry, have you used on your farm in Cochise County? Well, we've covered, you just covered some of them. Uh, (laughs) Last year, I had the honor and the blessing of being chairman of the International Pepper Conference for four years, and we culminated that with a with a field day and an ag day here at the farm, and then finished up on September 28th there in in Tucson at the University of Marriott, where we had um, you know close to 200 docs from around the world that study uh, chili genetics and and how to improve, and and so uh, you know ours is yes, ours is mainly that. But we use drip irrigation. Now we, we're into a lot of biologicals and the total soil health. Um, of course, our farm equipment has the GPS and stuff. But I tell you, there's guys that are a lot more advanced than I am. And uh, um, then I, some of the folks up there in Phoenix growing some of the baby leaf lettuce, Duncan Farms. Oh, it's uh, amazing. Man, oh, Sean's group is doing amazing stuff there and with, with the, uh, the high-tech weed sensors so there's there is tons of driverless tractors Julie. Yep. i mean you know that's coming that 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 i mean and some of it's John been a, both. right yeah, go ahead some of it's been around for a while i like to say we were uh driverless tractor cool before you know vehicle driverless vehicles were cool well so. I, alfalfa is a big part important part a for arizona you know, for livestock feed for the dairies, if they could develop a seed of alfalfa that would cut and bale itself, <laughs> that could save our guys a lot of overhead time. Right. I, I think I think we need to look at that. <laughs> Halfway through our Farm Fresh broadcast this Saturday morning, Julie, take it away. You've got uh, Ed Curry joining us from Cochise County by phone. This is, I was, I didn't have time to look it up. I, this might be his fourth time on the broadcast now. It could might be the be fourth. Fit. I was thinking third, but I will uh, trust he, your take on that. He, he's, he's, I think, probably got the record for the most visits, other than Stephanie. Other than Stephanie, yes, yes. Um, I. I kind of wanted to get into a little bit about some of the unusual crops that you've grown, Ed. So, But before that, I wanted to highlight for our listeners that agriculture's connected future may be some of the things that allow us 
generationally to have the next generation pursue agriculture. So this is from McKinsey and Company. They're a consulting firm. They said now agriculture is in the early days of yet another revolution. I, mm. I would think this next generation would be excited about that. And this, it's this whole connectivity thing. And again, our young people, sometimes I feel, get this better than me at my age, at the heart of which lies data and connectivity, artificial intelligence, analytics, connected sensors, and other emerging technologies could future increase yields, improve the efficiency of water and other inputs, and build sustainability. Sustainability is a key word for us today. Uh, sustainability also means profitability so that next generation can farm. So build sustainability and resilience across crop cultivation and animal husbandry. We haven't talked much about animal agriculture today because we've kind of been – I've got a crop farmer today instead <laughs> of a – but you would not believe what they're doing in the dairy industry and the beef industry when it comes to technology. Uh, we've tapped into some of the latest and the greatest there as well. But, Ed, as a result of that – and this future of farming, um, I'm going to ask you first, what unusual crops are you growing? Have you grown? Um, give us the lowdown on that. Okay. Well, we've looked at a lot of different things from cacti to uh, our, our reason is rosemary. Um, and and uh, it, we're up to 300 acres of rosemary and, and will probably be more. And that's going to tie me right back into my discussion with my grandmother and her diabetes and, and before the days of insulin, how much damage it did. So we all know, you know, huge percentage of society struggles with diabetes, no doubt about it. Yes, diet can help some. There's a lot of things, a lot of meds out there, a lot of things. But what can we do at a molecular level from a plant-based prov- provision? And here it is. It's... Uh, the rosemary is one of them. Uh, we're extracting uh, antioxidants from it. Uh, carsonic acid, I believe, is what it's called. It's immaterial. The bottom line is it's molecular level. It stabilizes. We all know the cancer issue and the foods we've ate and the chemicals that we've used to grow these foods. And, and, and you know, I'm not against – I do some organic and some regular. I think all parts of agriculture has its place. To think that we can feed the world in a totally organic, grown environment is probably not real. And yet to say that we don't need to constantly be working on these crops, that the companies that are out there that are now over the last 15 years separating molecules, that antioxidants is a big deal. And, natu- and, and, and when you go from antioxidants, let's, let's just get it down to, to layman terms, and that is that it's natural food preservatives that come out of this rosemary, uh, honestly, some of the chili. And, and that's where I want to, you know, when I said, hey, I'll connect my grandmother's story with, with the diabetes to now. Uh, number one, lowering carbs is a big deal in diabetes. We all know that. But number two, how do we have a healthy, sustainable fat supply? And what I mean by fat is the fat molecule. Uh, the oils, and, and they tend to go rancid. Well, that's where the rosemary comes in, is they're extracting certain molecules that are now when you buy chicken McNuggets, uh, a lot of different things, pecans, nuts, anything with an oil base in it is going to have this natural preservative in it. 
and it has grown so fast, and it's continuing to grow. And and companies are working on one of the, the is different varieties of rosemary, different strains that will actually produce more of this. So the natural part of this industry, we're aiming. Socrates said, this is the best way I can say it. Socrates said that your food, let food be your medicine. Well, Julie, here at Curry Farms and Curry Seed and Chili, we take that literal. And and we want, whether it's chili, whether it's rosemary, uh, oregano, we don't, we're not actually growing oregano yet, but we're certainly looking at it. And, and, and let me tie that in, just throw this in quickly, that part of that is because these are all lower water use crops. And that's what it's going to take to be sustainable is lower water use crops in these deserts. And yet crops that make a great impact on, on, on the food system. So uh, take it away, Julie. That'll so, give you some to remember. I love it. And I've got a new phrase for you, Ed Curry, farming at the molecular level. <laughs> Ed Curry, farming at the healthy molecular level. But you've grown everything. You've grown produce. Um, of course, your chilies, obviously. Um, I remember, and we still have that video up. We have it on azfb.org. We also have it on our YouTube channel. One of the things I remember you saying to me, you know, lettuce, it's fun to grow because it's like the race car driver of the produce (laughs) family because you can start it and finish it in 60 days, right? So our producer has a question for you, too. Oh, I thought he did. (laughs) Well, anyway. I'm getting hungry, though, talking. I know. I am, too. And that's the other fun thing about if you go to Cochise County or you go up north, you have such a diversity of farming and ranching. And even within the ranching industry, we think, okay, beef. But they've got heritage breeds that they're growing. They have um, uh, registered Angus, they have so many distinctions within their own growing and all the genetic technology applications, even in the bees industry. If I can interrupt you, sure, I'll sure. throw in my sister. <laughs> my sister Helen came along with the same idea with cattle and sheep, and she's she's quite well known throughout the state for her 4-H animals being some of the best, best bloodlines out there. Then her son, Jason. My nephew, her daughter, Jeanette, I mean, this whole family is involved in high-tech agriculture. And their son, Jason and Candace, and their kids are, are, are right on the state line here in Arizona doing a great job with specific-type beef. I think it's called Wagyu. There's the Wagyu, oh, yep. If I don't say that right. But, yes, you're, you're exactly right. There, there is so many areas. And yet, what I always want to get out to the listening audience and in our suburban areas and our cities is that we got such a bad rap, Julie, over the Monsanto Roundup deal. Uh, we've got a lot of bad rap on some things that uh, are, are a bit controversial, and I don't disagree that, boy, there's some things we probably don't need to be using, but there's those of us out here that there's companies, there's there's individuals like myself, like my sister and her family, that are doing things to make better beef, better mutton, but you know, right down the line to doing better. Right. And and, and my, my niece specifically works in in, in food uh, for the cattle and the sheep that that food items that will improve their health and chickens as well. Uh, 
So I have yeah, a an egg. It does a wonderful job, you know, and that, and that brings us to the pigment thing. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say, and that's a good segue because you're highlighting some of your uh, family and some of the work they're doing in agriculture. What is the future for your family's farming? Speaking of the future of Arizona agriculture. Well, my sons are involved, and, and my sister's children are involved, at least part of them. And, uh, uh, you know, we're very optimistic and very vibrant. And, and let's just go back to my grandmother, Payette, and, and say that that led this revolution in our lives that, that we believe that we're constantly looking for opportunity. It's all about opportunity. And there's so much. You hit the nail on the head when you when you quoted that last quote about that. There's a new revolu- revolution coming in agriculture, from horses to equipment. Now from equipment to molecular level health, and and molecular level better yields, better flavor. Uh, uh, the 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 and zeaxanthins that we specifically work with in the chili. Uh, well, I, I give you for instance, marigolds is used in most countries to color the yolk in the egg. So the chickens are fed marigold. Well, now some of the companies we're working with are using the red chili and they're wanting organic red chili because they know that's going to go directly to the yolk. Now I'm not trying to over push organic. I'm just saying the fact of the matter is what are these companies looking for? They're looking for things to help people's health and, and the lutein and the xanthans and the chili is going straight to that egg, and then you fry that egg and you get that. Now, what does that mean? Well, the neuropathic channels, all, all, from Alzheimer's to, to macular degeneration. Um, there are several docs at the university. Uh, Anne, I can't call Anne's last name right this second, Sue Close, I think, but I probably butchered that last name, Anne, and I apologize. But the point is there's people working on it all over yeah. trying to figure out how to make our food system healthier. And that's what we want to get out there because we've had such a bad rap that we're not, that we're just these big corporations looking for money. And that's, you know, sure, does it happen? Yes. But are those, is there a large segment of this industry looking to make beef healthier? Is it make chickens healthier, to make eggs healthier, to make milk? Oh, my goodness. Look at Fairlife and what, what they've done with with the lactose problem with milk. Yeah, there is you, all kinds of molecular level things. Go right. ahead, Julie. One of my uh, philosophies and what we talk a lot about on fillyourplate.org, which is Arizona Farm Bureau's consumer-facing website, we're posting three times a week on the blog, is that stick to the basics because it's at the farm gate and uh, the you know ranch gate level. The quality of beef, we've had quality of beef in here, here in Arizona for just, you know, decades and and more so. And then even our food. So the more basic you stay with your foods, don't buy it in a box, you know, get it, get it at its uh, basic levels, your dairy, your eggs, your produce, um, especially in the winter here, you know, sometimes we can't put a specific finger on what's local, but if it's in the winter and it's in the produce section, it most likely came from Yuma because it's that pendulum swing and that's healthy. That's quality. It's, it's at that farm gate level with our food. So I like it when we talk about the basics. And again, some of this technology today is allowing us to do that. If we're uh, like 
the Ed Curry's of the world, if we're improving our efficiencies and lowering prices, if we're growing in safer growing conditions and safer foods, and again, always finding a technology that's helping us reduce that environmental and ecological impact. Romy has a question. Oh, that was no. Oh, that was <laughs> that was. We're coming to the next break. We can do a lot here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. But where I come from, rain is a good thing. Now he brought in some philosophy. I can't remember. Was it Aristotle, Socrates, Pluto? I, I don't know. But you know, Confucius says the early bird gets the worm. But the second mouse gets the cheese. There you go. Oh, I guess so. You know, I don't participate much in the farm hour. Uh, and if you saw my yard, you'd know why. <laughs> um, uh, I, have the fa- I have rabbits so fat that have been eating out of my garden, they, they can't even crawl over the garden wall. But I haven't harvested one thing out of that garden. If this hour, for all of you listening... Wasn't one of the most uplifting hours you've heard on radio all week. You weren't listening. What's the future of agriculture? You know what? Ed Curry wrapped it up. Julie wrapped it up. Um, It's dependent on many of the factors that have brought the industry to where it is today. God willing, it's hard work. It's ambition. It's vision. It's ingenuity. It's resourcefulness. It's creativity. And it's a can-do attitude. Yes. Now, that's the future of agriculture. That's what made agriculture great. That's what made this country great. Thank you, Rosie. And I so concur with you. If this hour didn't lift you up from the pukey news you've been listening to all weekend, then I want you to play this hour over again. Thank you. And I concur. I fully agree. (laughs) You can do that by going to rosieonthehouse.com slash podcast. And it'll be up uh, around noon today. Yes, and uh, we want to give props. So, Ed, where do we go to get your Santa Cruz chili? What website? Because it explodes when our listeners hear where it's at. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, we, we, we love that. First, I want to throw something in for Rosie. Rosie, thank you for mentioning, God willing, you know, everything we do, um, we come from a, a long line of, of people with faith in Christ, and, and we love having this. We feel inspired to get to do what we do. Does it mean that we're perfect? No, we ain't perfect, but, man, we love it. And, Rosie, thank you for the comment on the positive, and, and that's what we want to be is we want to be positive. So Santa Cruz Chile. Santa Cruz Chile is a, is a good place to uh, it, it, there's all kinds of spices. Their gift shop is down in Tumacacri on the way to Nogales. Um, Armida runs that shop. It's beautiful. You can get anything there. But you can also go, just look up Santa Cruz Chile website and get it. Or you can look up the Curry Farms website and reach out to us, and we'll make sure you get it. But we, uh, we always appreciate being able to have had the honor and privilege. My father worked with uh, with. Uh, Gene England, who had originally started the Santa Cruz Chili Place. And I'll throw in that now, today, we kept growing from that. And today, if you walk down a store aisle and you buy an enchilada sauce, there is about a 60 to 70% chance, no matter what brand you buy, it's going to have curry seed and chili chili in it wow. uh, as a base ingredient. And, and that's been a long time coming. And uh, uh, I, I just, maybe it's wrong to say we're proud of that, but we're proud of that. 
The the actual website is santacruzchile.com or S-A-N-T-A-C-R-U-Z-C-H-I-L-I.com, santacruzchile.com. And I, Ed, you passed it out to us when we went on one of the tours. I had the Santa Cruz dry chili powder, and I use it all the time, especially when I'm making my beef tacos. I love I love to mm. pop some of that in there. And so it's just scrumptious, it's wonderful, and it's representative of Arizona Ag. And I will also mention, since we're in the final countdown this final hour, Arizona Farm Bureau is doing a lot of fun things. So uh, we're in the thick, August is the thick of what I call our county annual meeting season. So our 14 active counties, and the one who ends up being on the road the most is Stephanie Smallhouse, our president, or Philip Bashaw, our CEO. They almost make it to every one of those 14 county annual meetings. And that's where we hear some of these inspiring speeches by Stephanie Smallhouse, Arizona Farm Bureau's president. And also we connect. So uh, all of the ag members within the Farm Bureau are invited and the other thing is we pack on a few extra pounds in, in August because these county annual meetings, they always feed us. Um, it's a kind of a end-of-the-year thank you to our ag members, and so we have a lot of fun with that. And also at these meetings, a lot of our activities, uh, policy, and some of these technology discussions, what's the hope for the future, we're actually landing on this just because of the Rosie on the House theme on the future of Arizona agriculture. So I'm going to be featuring in our conversation article in our Arizona agriculture, which is exclusive to our ag members. But if you go on our website and go to our um, uh, one of the links there that features all of our news and articles, we actually do post the Arizona agriculture magazine pretty quickly. But that's front and center for a while. We're going to be talking about technology and uh, trying to kind of help us all understand that there's hope for the future in Arizona agriculture, even with some of these water issues. And, and you can support Arizona uh, agricultural industry by becoming a Farm Bureau member for uh, just your everyday homeowner. It's 60 bucks a year. Correct. And you can uh, – you're supporting local agriculture, but you get the newsletter, and then there's all different local – you know, it really helps you connect with local places that all at offer a discount for being a Farm Bureau member. So right. you easily recoup that $60 and you're supporting local. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. This was wonderful. And Ed Curry, we just really appreciate all that you do. Well, let's do it again. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, and we'll have opportunity to do it again. He said the chili farmer, you know, it takes over 200 years. So he's only a third into his farming career here. <laughs> Yeah, you got to stay around, Ed. <laughs> <laughs>